Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Brother Ghoulish himself, Ryan Kinney. He is a content curator and the host of the Brother Ghoulish's Tomb podcast, where he shares horror stories and reviews movies. He's also one of the co-hosts of the newly launched Blurdy Massacre, the podcast. Welcome to the show! Thank you, thank you. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) The crowd goes wild. Blurdy Massacre, by the uh-huh. way. I saw the numbers are doing great. And like you have an incredible y'all have an incredible cast of hosts. Like, congratulations on launching a new podcast. It is so stressful to launch a podcast. It is. <laughs> um, thank you, first of all. But I feel like I have like the best uh co-hosts. Like they're they're just amazing. Like I could like we we have a lot of fun doing it. We're always joking and it's just, it's magical, but thank you. Sheree is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life, so I just feel like every time anything with her, a project with her is going to have it be funny at the very least. Oh yeah, she's so hilarious. Like, it, it's, like, all the laughing I have to cut out in between things when I'm editing, <laughs> it's just like, because we get, we get to going and that's it. Uh, that's so awesome. And I, I love Zero. Like, Zero is just, when I saw oh, the three of you, I was like, course. ah... It's like, perfect. Cannot wait. Uh, but before we... Yeah, exactly. But before we do get to that, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? I actually got um, inter- introduced to horror really early because okay. I grew up in a horror household. So all right. my mm. father loved Blackula and um, movies from that time period. Okay. And my older brother, who had a huge impact on a lot of the horror that I saw, including this one, 
he was into horror really deep. My mom likes her horror, but it's not like on the same level. But she also was in a house where she wanted three girls and ended up with three boys. And we all just like horror. <laughs> so she just kind of went with the flow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was really early. I, I typically tell people my first horror movie was Scream because that's the first one that I like snuck to go watch by myself and fell in love with. But oh, wow. I had seen so much stuff before that. So, you know, I think about like horror anthology TV shows like The Outer Limits and Twilight Zone. And a lot of that stuff scared me, but I loved all of it. How old were you when you started watching it? Like, before, I guess as soon as you could remember, basically. It sounds like your dad was probably showing you horror, like, at the youngest age possible. <laughs> <laughs> so my father showed me a few things, but some of the stuff I wanted to see that he he was watching he wouldn't actually allow me to watch it okay and so it was always a a slippery slope and i knew he was trying to protect me because the tales from the hood is one of the ones where i literally was told not to watch it and i I watched it anyway and it actually scared me really really bad and i was like damn he was right (laughs) (laughs) that's always the worst you're like fuck god damn it they were right it was scary shit i can't tell them i'm scared but I'm so scared. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So um, what were some of your favorites growing up? What, what kind of movies did you gradu- gra- graduate, gravitate to? <laughs> when I was younger, I like, and you're talking about just in horror or just generally yeah, speaking? horror. Yeah. So in horror, definitely Scream. Like, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with that film. I was obsessed with, I'm trying to remember some other horror movies that I just really, really liked. I liked um, a lot of horror comedies. So okay. like, I liked Dracula Dead and Loving It. It was really, really funny to me. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Dracula Dead and Loving It. I, I, I an unabashed fan of it. There, there is like, I, there's a scene, I don't know if you've watched it in a while or if you remember it. Like I used to have this movie memorized. Yeah, okay. I've seen, I saw it like a couple weeks the ago. The Raspberries? Raspberries? <laughs> there are Raspberries here? <laughs> <laughs> that moment I is is constantly I co- constantly quoted around my house. My my roommate has a dog and he goes around going <laughs> and it reminds me so much of him going raspberries and so I'll go around walking and saying that to him. So I'm so happy that there's another Dracula dead and loving it. <laughs> oh, it's it's the best. Uh, I, I turned my uh partner onto it because he had never seen it. And yeah. um I was like we're 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 changing that today and I purchased it and I showed it to him and he actually found it funny as well. It's so good. Is he into horror? Is your partner into horror? Oh yeah, like the, the okay. when we first started dating, like one of our first date nights, um he cuz I had never seen Hellraiser when I met him. Oh, okay. And he was like, "Oh, we're going to change that." And I was like, "You know what? You're the one for me." Cuz like he literally turned me on to Hellraiser and it was just That's love. Yeah. That <laughs> Yeah. Also, like first date movie Hellraiser, you know it's also love when someone's like, "Oh no, we're gonna show you Hellraiser," like in our in the early stages of dating, and you're like, "Thank you, you are the kind of person that I'd like to have in my life." I almost cried. I was like, "Damn, you, you introduced me to <laughs> Julia." Me. Like, <laughs> you, brought, you brought that icon into your life. Oh, I love. Okay, I will not get on my. I love Julia. I just love her so much. But anyway. <laughs> queer icon it's queer icon but some, what were some of the movies that really scared you as a kid aside from the one that we're talking about today communion Ooh, yeah <gasps> communion messed me up ah. and it was it was so bad that i actually had a phobia of aliens for like years years and years and i was afraid to watch the film I literally only got over my fear of that film like a couple months ago because I was like, I'm being ridiculous. I have to, I have to watch it. It can't be as scary as I remember it. And I'm happy I did because it wasn't as scary as I remember it. But in my mind, oh, the movie is actually quite campy. Yeah, it's it's actually a pretty bad movie. 
<laughs> oh, it's terrible. I'm obsessed with it. It's oh, yeah. awful. But I can understand as a child seeing it and being like, fuck this. Like, absolutely not. Because aliens, like, alien abduction. So you were a big, like, scared of alien abduction, basically. Was that a thing when you were a kid? Yes. Yes. That shit haunted my dreams. I was always scared I was going to get abducted. I was like, it's going to be me. They will choose me in my suburban Maryland neighborhood to abduct me. But it's always like a suburb like that. Like it's it like this area. I could see a UFO. Not, not, I'm not putting it in my head. Never mind. <laughs> no, I just got over this. I was going to say something, but we're going to move on. I don't want to <laughs> reinstate an absolute terror of aliens and UFOs into your life. Uh, so what other movies? The other one I think was called Body Parts. Um, I think that's what it was called. But the 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 art is in my head. But I might be calling it the wrong thing. It, it was about this guy who he had like a hand transplant from a murderer. And then like the hand had an urge to kill. So he just kept killing people. Frightening. I, I don't. Is this the art? Can you yes! see my phone? Yeah. <laughs> it is called Body Parts. It is. It's incredible. <laughs> that movie scared the hell out of me. So I've did. I've actually uh, never seen that. Brad Dorf's in it, everybody. <laughs> wait, wait, you said who's in it? Brad Dorf. Chucky oh, I... himself is in it i changed it to someone else in my head i, I gotta rewatch that as well oh no he's not the, he's, not, he's not the lead guy he's just in it he's oh. just in the cast sorry pardon me i just got excited seeing his name on the cast oh the log line is the transplant was a success then the donor came to take it back oh my god that's terrible <laughs> that's so bad i gotta rewatch i was gonna say i want to watch this immediately wow that is absolutely incredible did you get scared easy as a kid hmm yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. i had to think about it like objectively and yeah (laughs) i did i used to get pranked all the time and so the only way to kind of um stop getting pranked i had to get tougher because they they knew i was like carly bath from goosebumps and they were giving it to me on a regular and i couldn't take it (laughs) (laughs) carly bath Uh, so as an adult do you get scared watching horror movies anymore or have you outgrown that rarely it it actually takes a lot for me to get um afraid of a horror movie and i'm sure y'all relate to this too because a lot of like horror movies when they put the trailers out they'll say things like you know oh this is the scariest film and people were passing out in the theaters and i'm like am i dead inside because i'm watching these films and i don't feel (laughs) any of this yeah i yeah the, those I, I remember time in my early 20s where I would get psyched up before a movie came out because I would see that and be like, oh, my God. And the movie would either like I would feed into that like hysteria and get super scared to be like, that was not scary. Or I'd be really, really disappointed. And now it's just like, I know people that write this, <laughs> that write that statement. It's like, no, oh, no. But what was the last movie that did scare you, though? Do you remember? Oh, yes. Because it actually it scared me so bad that I had shockwaves. Um, and I didn't remember feeling that since a kid. And it was oh, wow. It was host on Shudder. That oh. movie was the last one. It got me. It got me really, really good. And I was mad at myself because <laughs> I felt like in <laughs> retrospect I should have seen it coming, but since I didn't, I actually I screamed. I actually screamed in my living room. And I I, I was like, oh like I like threw myself back and like my fiance was like, Are you okay? And I'm like <laughs> Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. not. Okay. That's a good choice. That movie. It scared the shit out of me because, mm. like, you know, I love found footage and all that stuff. I had like low-ish expectations. I no, it's not any 
anyone's fault. It's just the way we are now as horror people and like being scared. I watched it and I jumped and I screamed and I actually had to turn the lights on. Like it was incredible. I loved it, which is I love it. I love talking about this stuff because like I was so scared. I was so happy. I love being scared, but it like especially because of the pandemic and like it really like hit those fears really well. Mm-hmm. Um, without being super like torch like kind of emotional manipulation. Yes, pandemic. But holy shit, that movie's incredible, and it's so short. I so think sure. everything you're talking about is what was so perfect about it. Like it being the length yes. of a Zoom call, it hitting at yes. the time that it did, so it was relatable. It wasn't cheesy, and like you said, it also wasn't like I don't remember. Like it didn't exploit what we were all going through. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. about the pandemic that you couldn't just have that escapism while still being afraid and relating to it. It was in a perfect balance. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's a gem. Yeah. It, it is really a gem. is. I also love that it was based on that short that Rob Savage posted that he he when he pranked his friends, he pranked his friends and um he ended up it, the prank video did so well on like social media that it became host, which I, I think is cool as shit. About this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was like, like doing like a in... Zoom call and and like held up the the laptop into it cuz he was like putting it in the attic and he's spliced in footage from wreck the the zombie there's a zombie jump out scare and then pretend like he fell and died and his friend's like what just happened there and it was it was such a good moment it's out on it's out on on twitter somewhere that's it's so good Hmm. and like all the people in the call were the people in host like they're all friends in real life so it was cool as shit pandemic creativity everybody some of the things came out of this nightmare so what are some of your favorite horror movies as an adult now a lot of my favorites um are films from like the 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 early aughts and also films that are like fresh and like switching up something um currently so like my top like like my tops are like scream um, Get Out, Silence of the Lambs, American Psycho. It's a lot of them, but those are like the top ones. I like The Taking of Deborah Logan. I actually think it's like a perfect oh. like horror <sighs> film. I like It Follows. I know some people don't really like that film, but I actually Me think too. it was pretty cool. We are an It Follows loving mm-hmm. podcast. Okay, okay. <laughs> we are here. I love that movie so much. And Black Swan. I feel like that's one of the best films I've seen in a very long time. I, I just, love Black Swan. I love that film. It can I do no wrong. I love and it's it. a horror movie. I know people yeah. don't want to call it a horror movie because it's like that whole elevated bullshit, but it's it's a horror movie. It is a horror I, movie. I will hear. Someone tried to hit me with that too. They also tried to hit me with um, the same person. Scream isn't a horror movie, and I'm like, just just <laughs> I'm, I'm, get out of here. <laughs> I'm good. You stay over there. <laughs> you know i'm gonna have to say there's really not an argument to be made there i don't really like look interpretation but it's literally a movie making fun of horror whatever you know what we know we all know we all know Uh, um but kind of jumping into all of your like awesome creative work i'm curious how did you go up with the name brother ghoulish because that's kind of like your persona online with your content and i'm curious where you came up with the name so I came up with Brother Ghoulish and the name of the podcast and the tagline all at once. I was just sitting on the bed behind my fiance and I'm very goofy. Um, like I, I'm, I'm extremely imaginative, silly. I'm like a big kid. And it's, we'll talk it's, about uh, that in a moment too. Cause 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was just, because I wanted to start a podcast. I knew mm-hmm. that. And I knew it had to be about horror. I knew that. And people in my life um, who are friends of mine, they were actually telling me you should do a podcast because, or a YouTube or something, because I'm just silly. Like, that's just who I am to my friends. That's the value piece that I add to our circles. And so I was just telling Mill, like, what am I going to, oh, sorry, his name is Emilio. I'll call him Mill. So I was like, I really want to do this. He's like, well, what are you going to name yourself? And I was like, well, it has to be something spooky. And it also has to have like a touch of our culture in it. Like mm. it has to be something like that. And I was like, do you like Brother Ghoulish? And he was like, I love it. And I was like, I was like, can you imagine like me on the microphone? Like, hello, everyone. Welcome to Brother Ghoulish's Tomb, where it's all about the brains. I'm your host, Brother Ghoulish. This is a podcast for the undead. The, and, and I just did the whole thing. And he and he was like, did you write that? And I was like, No. He said, can you please write? Because I say stuff like this, and I don't write it down. Oh. He's like, just write it down. Like, I think that's a, a great idea. And so, and he's my biggest supporter. Like, um, him and my mom, like, when I put out anything, my mom will call me, and she'll always just say, like, I listened to what you were on, and blah, blah, blah. And and so, whenever they go up for something, sometimes I don't meet them there. But this was a case where, because I'm really hard on myself. I'm super, super critical. But this was a time where I was like, you know what? Yeah, I really like it. So I just stayed with that. I didn't second guess myself. And Brother Ghoulish was born. But I love that. You were just like, here it is. Right off the top of the head. Right off the top of the dome. That is incredible. And the intro? What the fuck? I you know. got the intro right away, too? Do you know fuck how you. long we sat there coming up with, like, everything with our podcast, just agonizing over it? And here you are just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I got it. I know. Terry and I sitting there for, like, an hour trying to figure out two sentences on uh-huh. how to introduce the fucking podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, go, I, I go, like, in both polarities, though, because for some stuff, I am like that. Like, some stuff, I get stuck, and I can't, like, shake it a loose. But um, I was like a theater kid growing up. So like the theatricality and stuff is just very normal to me. Mm-hmm. Like that's just my my vibe. But I I don't know why that happened. And I need that to happen again because um, <laughs> and, and, and let it be lottery numbers this time. I mean, oh. Robin Bush is cool. <laughs> But I would Why can't you like, that money? <laughs> I would like. Some we money. all know that podcasts don't make any money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Podcasting is fun, but it is for passion, not for money. <laughs> oh yeah, it's for the love, people. This is a labor of it love. Is, believe mm-hmm. this is a labor of love. You bet saw... you lose money podcasting for the most. Part. Tell me about it. This microphone is more than any CPM will ever give me. Even if I did nope. it like as an affiliate yep. thing. Like if I say y'all go buy this. It still ain't enough to buy this damn thing. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, can you tell yeah. us just a little bit about what your podcast, your Brother Ghoulish podcast, is about? Sure. So, um, Brother Ghoulish's Tomb is I share horror film reviews and I share horror short stories that I've written. Mm-hmm. And to date, each uh, horror story has a gay black lead like myself because a big piece of what I wanted to do is. I wanted to, like, talk critically about the genre because, you know, I am a fan. I grew up in it. But I also wanted to create something that was the change I wanted to see. And I've always wanted to see myself, like, represented in different types of horror or someone that looks or it looks and loves like me. Mm-hmm. So that's why 
on there, I've shared things like um, a guy fighting against a pair of killer thighs and a mall slasher. And because I'm also someone who likes, I like to laugh and have a good time as well. So that was pretty much what Brother Goldish's tune became. And for season three, which I'm working on now, I'm actually going to stop sharing uh, short stories for a bit of time just because I am working on releasing my first book, which I finished recently, and I'm trying to start writing my second one. So I don't want to, you know, um, I want to focus on one project at a time when I'm writing is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's smart. I, I don't know how to do that. So tell me. How you do that. I, I don't know either. Please send help. <laughs> SOS. Why are we like this? <laughs> help. So wait, okay. Um, books fiction short stories what's what what is it tell tell me everything can you talk about it yet yeah can you talk about it (laughs) so the name of the book is there's something wrong in morrison county and the all the stories that are in brother ghoulish uh brother ghoulish's tomb season one and two they're actually interrelated and there's some hints to it in different little places but the one commonality is that they're in or around the suburbs of fictional Maryland, Morrington County. And the reason that all the leads are gay black men and they're facing these horrors is because of this entity called the Brood King. And he's actually, um, I don't want to spoil it. You know, I, I think, you know, I want people to crack the case because I don't, I don't actually reveal it in this book. And the second one, I'll probably play around and keep the answer a little bit further. But, um, that's what it's about. It's just a, it's nine different stories across time as well, because one of the stories is is in Morrington County, but it's 100 years later and there's zombies and um, people have found out that by imbibing zombie blood or microdosing it, you can actually get like a little bit of a high and you oh, can wow. also move between zombies without being eaten. So that story is going to be premiered in the book for the first time, but it's going to give hints also to what is going on in Morrington County even a century later. So... That's exciting. Thank Wait, you. Wait, when is that coming out? I don't know because like um I'm pitching and querying and that process oh, is Oh cool, okay. Ugh. A nightmare. <laughs> yes. A nightmare. <laughs> a lot a scarier than the stuff I'm writing. <laughs> uh-huh. Nothing is scarier than actually pitching your own work to people and just waiting for them to respond. Oh yeah. And then some if they do respond, because a lot of them say don't expect a response. I'm like yep. oh. Well, at least they tell you that. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> like, true. Like, sadly, it's like we're just probably not going to get back to you. But regardless, that is extremely exciting. That is incredibly exciting. Thank you. Now, um, you also... Whoa. I didn't mean to do that. You also... And this is... Okay, so you mentioned earlier that you like being silly. Oh, yes. And let me tell you that uh, one of the best things <laughs> is following you on TikTok. Oh, thank you. you. (laughs) Uh, You had just like, I think a few days ago, posted the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. And I was fucking rolling. And I I just, I'd love to see that you're spreading out and doing this kind of TikTok stuff. Because you are a hilarious man, I have to say. Thank you. Um, You Please tell my partner, because he's tired of my jokes. So (laughs) (laughs) let him know this. But... I don't know. The funny thing about it is, like, I, that's who I am. I'm just very silly. So I'm happy that I was nervous starting the TikTok because Brother Goldish's tomb is like in the beginning a very different vibe. And I was like, are people just not going to take me serious as a writer or as a content creator after I do this? And I'm like, you know what? If they're like that, 
I, I gotta be me. I gotta have fun. Like, I love this genre in many different ways. So this is how I show my love. I'm making fun of things. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so incredible. we're gonna we'll absolutely gonna put your TikTok information also in the show notes when we when we do this because people Thank need you. to be following you because I just it brings a every time it pops up on my for you page or something it's like it brings a smile to my face so I just had to say that that I really enjoy that. Thank you. Does your does your partner like ever just walk in while you're filming and is like what in the shit? Because that happens to me with my partner when I film for Dread Central's TikTok. He's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, no one, just my phone. He does. Um, he walks in all the time, and um, I feel bashful doing some of them in front of him because y'all see the type of stuff I'd be doing on there, like the one where I was twerking as Ghostface and I had the wig like around yeah. the mask. Um, I waited until he was like gone, gone before I, before I did that. I did not want him to see like, and I show him after like, but when he walks in, I stop. Like he was there for the one where I was uh doing the Omarion challenge for the pen, uh, for uh, the Cenobites. Oh. Mm-hmm. He was he was there for that one. And funny funny fact about that TikTok, that one took over an hour to do. It was very difficult because it was the only one that I was recording from behind. So I couldn't see what I was doing. Right, right. And so Mm -hmm. I kept doing it. He was like, I was sweating and everything. He was like, babe, like, take a break. And I'm like, no, must dance for the for Pinhead and the Cenobites. And then, you know, it happened. Must do it for Pinhead. Uh, okay, so before we uh, talk about the movie, I also want to talk about uh, Blurdy Massacre. How did this come about? What do, what are you guys doing on the podcast? What give us all the deets? So, Blurdy Massacre is a project I'm super excited about because um, it's definitely so. For everyone listening, it's myself, Sheree Bohannon from Nightmare Fierce, and Zero Gravity from IDK Gravity, and so. Those two people are people I I love and adore, and we've worked together a lot, but we've also developed a camaraderie and a friendship that, you know, we talk to each other regularly, and I love and respect them. And so for them to come to me with this idea, I was like, y'all want to work with moi? Like, okay, let's do it. (laughs) And it just rolled, and it was natural. And I'm excited to look at things from that perspective, you know, focusing on Black filmmakers and um, Black directors and... And just all of blurred culture, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anyone's listening, doesn't like that's a new term for you. It's a black nerd, so it's going to go into horror, but also sci-fi, and it's going to go into other genre works that I feel are grossly underlooked at right now. So I'm excited. The first episode launched, and it's doing great. It sounds like. Um, what do you have? What some or some upcoming episodes people can look forward to? I can't say yet. Can't say. Oh, okay. I'll tell y'all this. We have. A lot planned. Um, we we have a huge list of stuff to get into. Hell and yeah, yeah I, I think y'all should watch. I, I can't spoil it. I'm sorry. We'll put links to to everything for, for the podcast, um, for both podcasts, and the show notes, everybody. So make sure to follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. You will not be disappointed. Thank, Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, but Ryan, what movie <laughs> did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Tales from the Hood, of course. Of course. <laughs> okay, so for those of you unfamiliar, um, Tales of the Hood is all about a funeral director who tells four strange tales of horror with, the, with a black focus on three drug dealers he traps in his place of business. 
Yeah. That's that's it. That's very, <laughs> very, very brisk summary from IMDb very for that summary. one. Uh, okay, yeah. so I want to know, how old were you when you saw this? How did you see this? Why is this your Scarred for Life moment? Give us your horror story. I saw this for the first time <clears throat> when I was maybe six. Because so, it was like, oh. it was just coming to VHS. I'm just going to age myself with that technology. Some <laughs> listeners may be like, VHS, what the hell is that? It's like a big-ass DVD. <laughs> um, that you have to manually rewind. Y'all get everything instantly nowadays. rewind. <laughs> so, I was six. Um, at the most seven. And, like I said, I was not allowed to be watching this film. But my older brother owned it. And he was like, oh, you want to watch it? Let's watch it. And so, he showed it to me. And because I wanted it so bad and I was living in Landover, Maryland at the time. And one of the things I have always found about uh, Maryland frightening is that it I associate Maryland with the Blair Witch Project, which was another film I had seen around this time. And my family was very like esoteric, like they believed in like spirits and ghosts and witches. And, and, and so it was always like a reality that the Blair Witch would come and get me. And, like, looking at Tales from the Hood, it was like, I really thought these dolls would come and get me. I thought that, um, I wasn't so much worried about, like, the zombie or anything. Because, like, I didn't do nothing to him. Um, but those dolls, like, they just, they frightened me. And I didn't even finish watching Tales from the Hood the first time I tried to watch it. I didn't finish it. So, um, I tapped out at the doll story. It was too frightening. And I had nightmares for, like years and it, it was so bad like even the strike of the violin like the, i could it would it was the instant shutdown i couldn't deal with it it would take years for me to actually go back i mean actually decades now i think about it and like appreciate it for the gem that it is it was too frightening yeah so nightmares for years what do you do you remember kind of like what any of those nightmares what were about were they just the the dolls coming at you or i don't remember them specifically but i know yeah. that they all had something to do with that with, with the dolls. That doll but not all the dolls specifically that one the main doll he <laughs> was the, so like, hangs like the chandelier and it's like running around chasing him around he's yeah. frightening yeah he is frightening and like i feel like watching this now for like a 1995 movie was actually relatively impressed with how they had that look like the, the doll running around after him me too like, i was impressed with that well the not all doll the effects, effects held up very well but <laughs> you ain't all of them. but uh <laughs> the doll i mean the dolls were done by the chiodo brothers production they weren't done by the chiodo oh. brothers but they were by their production studio uh and in fact i guess a little tidbit that i found is that actually one of those dolls ended up in um team america world police no shit are you which was also done by the chiodo brothers productions yeah wow yeah it's a little a little tidbit there but yeah no that's crossover there you watch them and it's like <laughs> this is what they were that production studio was so good at doing was that kind of puppetry work because th- it's it holds up to today and it's it's still the most frightening part of that movie for me yeah, for me. Even too. though it's happening to an absolutely atrocious human being, it's still a pretty terrifying moment. Yeah, it it still is frightening. And and now I can because like watching well, my older brother, he was born in seventy nine. I was born in ninety. Just to show you like our age difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. He okay. um he found pieces of that movie very funny, like like hilarious. Like he would rewind certain parts and like re like redo them over and over and over again. Really. And 
Um, I didn't find anything in that movie funny. <laughs> like, when I was younger, it was just not, it wasn't funny to me. But now that I've seen it so many times, I can also go back and like rewind certain parts and, and kind of laugh at certain pieces of it. But it's, it's more, it's not laughing because it's actually funny. It's, it's just that the caricatures of like the people they represent is so turned up on 10 that you cannot help but laugh at how just absolutely awful these people are. And then knowing they're going to mm-hmm. get the comeuppance each time adds to it as well, of course. Yeah, okay. So I I never okay. When this movie came out in 1995, um I've mentioned this on the podcast many times. I was out of horror movies at that time. I was not watching horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um I was like reading books and my parents had like gotten very conservative with with me watching horror movies. So I had retreated to books and then I was also in like after school activities band and all that kind of stuff. So I had no idea that this movie even existed. Wow. Until like I don't know, maybe the early 2000s. And then at that point, um, I honestly thought it was so it was a comedy or it was like a parody of like Tales from the Crypt. And so I stayed away from it. I never watched it. And I didn't watch it until like a couple years ago and was like, whoa, this movie is not at all what I was what I was expecting it to be. And I, I, I wonder, I, I know that I had found an interview with um, with the director, Rusty Cunt. Is it Cun- Cundiff? Cundiff. Cundiff. Um, I found an interview with him that he did with uh, IndieWire, and they were talking about how a lot of people re- refer to it as a horror comedy, and he says that he'd never considered it a horror comedy. He's like, you look at something like Scream, and that's a horror comedy. He says, I feel personally that Tales from the Hood is different. He's like, there are certain moments that produce laughter, but taking it in totality, there are less laughs. Uh, and he's like, uh, where was that? I don't think there are really any laughter in the episode Boys Don't Cry with David Allen Greer. And Paula J. Parker, and he's like the Corbin Bernstein episode, and certainly the Crazy K section have absolutely nothing funny in them. And he's like, it's interesting that it got that label. And I, I do think that I do wonder if a lot of people didn't go see it because they thought it was just like a parody or a horror comedy, which wasn't really a thing at that time when it came out. Hmm, I wonder too. I mean, I feel like when I first watched it, I knew there was some type of association with uh, Tales from the Crypt. Like, mm-hmm. I knew that there was some type of association, but I hadn't seen um, going through, like, the whole catalog, right? I hadn't right. seen Bordello of Blood until much later. I hadn't seen Demon Knight until much later. Um, the only one I had seen was this. And it was, like, a loose one. Because, like, with these other mm-hmm. films, you actually get, like, the Crypt Keeper, uh, Crypt Keeper coming on. And there's, like, a sandwich story on the outsides. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. I always, and this was just, I don't know this for a fact, obviously. I always thought it was just the estranged uh, stepchild because it was like a black piece of horror, you know, history. And so yeah. it didn't yeah. get as much like shine or promotion because of that. And I think when like film studios like put comedy on things, some there it's a strategic move sometimes. Like sometimes they do it because they think they can earn a different rating or they can, um, cause I feel like scream did something similar, but I can't remember the specifics of it, like playing with the, like the genre label so they can get like a different rating or something. But, um, I don't know if that was the case with this, but I can see that. I can see some people being turned off from the idea of like, first of all, it's called tales from the hood. So it puts you in mind of like a lot of those horror movies that are like from the hood or whatever, like Mm -hmm. leprechaun the hood and stuff. So, right. And people tend to, not really want to watch those because they don't they're not usually really good films they're usually like really offensive to black people or they may be um tone deaf like black exploitation films that were written more by white people the way that they think black people act mm-hmm. so it could have easily been overlooked 
Because, like, Tales from the Hood is one of those, like, rare instances where you go back and you're like, and you know it has black filmmakers and you see what it's talking about. And a lot of these topics still are really relevant today. And it's just wild to even think about, you know? That was my reaction to seeing it for the first time a couple years ago was, was A, this is an incredible piece of filmmaking that uh, is it's a shame that it's not talked about enough. And yeah. two, it also made me really sad to see how far we have not come <laughs> yeah. since 1995. Yeah. Like the story is just yeah. so much resonance, like the, especially the first the first like the first story about police brutality against black men and especially and about police corruption. It's like this literally has been an issue forever and will continue to be an issue. And it's terrifying because so this is the first time I actually watched this movie. This has been on my watch list for oh, a wow. while. Um I know. I like I didn't watch it. I'm so sorry everybody. I was very wrong. But after especially hearing like so like Jazz from Girl at Scary wrote an incredible article about it. Yes. And I wanted to see it, but after reading that I was like, Jesus Christ, like I have slept on this movie for too long. I need to watch it. And I'm so glad you brought it because we all talk about anthology films all the time and how much we love Creepshow, but this movie really does deserve to be in the pantheon of like incredibly made anthology films that are both terrifying and important and well-made and just really well thought through. Because every like, I was scared watching this. I was like, the effects are incredible. The storytelling is like socially relevant, but also scary. And I just feel like it's such an important horror movie for those reasons like you talk about creep show then talk about tales from the hood and i'm embarrassed that i never saw it only because like i think it was very much with like my white upbringing with my parents especially my dad being like creep shows the best anthology movie you don't need to see any other ones like there's no other good anthology horror movie um so i will take ownership of that but it is so good and clarence williams the third as our as our like horror host like Yo, it is the <laughs> I don't know. I again didn't know what I expected. Like you see just a couple of the photos of him grinning with his like devilish grin, but he is so good in this movie. Like his voice is so creepy and measured and quiet and careful and he's dressed in this like outlandish suit, but he's still there's something about him that is just like very off-putting. And oof, he's an incredible horror like a horror villain in this movie the way he talks he is he's one of my biggest um inspirations to be honest like as a host uh, like i uh, i love that depiction and it's it requires so much like energy and patience and talent and skill like if i could ever get like close to that level that would be amazing like, i love his performance quality in this piece and it adds to the scares because he's not acting like someone who you can trust per se. Right. But you would probably write him off like going into Sims funeral home is more it's like a kooky person versus like someone who's about to unveil what he did. <laughs> yeah. It, well, yeah, because like the three guys are like, you're a fucking weird old dude. Like you don't you have nothing is like you can't do anything to us. Like we have we have guns and like we're younger. Like you're no threat to us. And He's like, oh, of course I'm not a threat to you. No, I'm just a kooky old man who runs a, a funeral home. Oh, no, with my walking stick. And there, he's just like, gotcha. I like the way you both are talking about his dialogue, though, because one of the things I picked up um, on this this last watch was the way he thinks about words. Like, I love when the 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 the, the drug dealers are like, we're here for the shit. And he's like, the shit. And the way he just sort of like thinks about that word and then just keeps bringing it up as if like it, it amuses him so much that that 
they don't realize that they are actually knee de- deep in literal shit, like or I guess figurative shit. They're not literally walking through de- shit, but like <laughs> shit but everywhere. It's just, just shit covered everywhere. I mean, just the a- camera never did pan down, so that's a good point. That is an excellent point. <laughs> But I just I love the way he considers those words when he's when he's saying them, because first of all, it, it's it is I mean, it's revealed eventually, you know, that he is, you know, a demon or the devil or or what what have you from hell. But like, it's almost as if like he's hearing these words for the first time and he's just relishing the different kind of play on words that that everyone is using. And I just it's such a good performance. Yeah, I agree. Um I want to work through the different yeah. sections just because like it's easily laid out for us. So the first one, fuck, what's the first one called? Rogue I totally uh, it's revelation. Um, Rogue Cop Revelation. Yes, and so I mentioned that it's about a um, bunch of t- bad white cops who beat up a uh, a man who is a politician speaking out against. Um, corruption and there is one black police officer who tries to stop them and they trick them and they actually end up killing the politician and uh politician comes back as a zombie a year later to get revenge on these guys um yeah, yeah. and this is like the one that you see a lot of images from of the guy with um like the, the bright blue eyes and kind of like the zombie effects on his head so staring kind of at the camera i feel like that's one of the big iconic images from this movie is from from this one um so I, this one is obviously incredibly difficult to watch because most of the horror is you're you're seeing something that happens to a lot of like of the, of black men and getting brutalized by white by white cops, um, but then the table gets turned on them. And my favorite part is when he gets the fucking needles and likes them levitate yes. and then hits him with all of the hypodermic needles on the ground. Wow, Mwah. chef's kiss. It's so good. And then nails him to a cross. Yeah. Like, or ne- needles him to a cross. <laughs> I am curious. Uh, did... Because did, I, I know that the, the dolls one is what stuck in your mind. But did this... Did this ever bother you at all when, when you were a kid watching it? So, I'm happy you asked that. Because, like, rewatching it this time, I this was the one that I had a lot more to say than mm-hmm. um, I would have as a kid. Because as a kid, like... I didn't, I wasn't as triggered by this particular topic as I am now as a grown man who, you know, has been accosted by the police when I'm not doing shit and, you know, dealing with the racial tensions that are just in in America and one of my greatest fears that like something happens and then they just say, oh, well, you know, you know, he did something wrong, so he deserved to be gone or whatever the case may be. So now... This is the scariest story to me just because of that. But mm-hmm. the reality is when I was younger, it didn't, you know, it didn't trigger me as much. And um, I think the pieces of it that scared me the most as a kid, though, because there were pieces in this that also, you know, were pretty frightening. Not as much as the doll story, but damn right. near close was definitely the needle going down the throat. Oh. Um, that <gasps> thing scared me. Um, the vision, like the the sight of seeing Martin Morehouse as like a zombie, like it actually was very frightening. Him pulling like the head up through the car mm. and, and cutting his head, like that was frightening. Even his voice, I don't know if you noticed, but there's like an odd like effect to his voice in that last yes. scene where yeah. he's like, "Where were you when I needed you, brother?" Like that that effect. Oh man, chills like ice cold. 
I, yeah, I could see that. And I think because I was, I was trying to picture myself if, if I were a kid and I and I and I saw this, it def, this one definitely has a lot more of the actiony moments and has like, you know, the zombie looks kind of I think he looks kind of cool. Yeah. And then you have like the, the, the car chases and all that kind of stuff. It's definitely the more action packed of them. And so, like, I feel like that. If, if you're not like key clued in onto what it's actually exploring that I could see it, that this would probably go over most kids heads. Yeah. It, I, I, w- I would, that's a great point. I think for all the stories, that's what it shares in common for me as a kid. I think only boys don't uh, boys do get bruised was probably the only one that I actually, I caught it when I was a kid. But as I got older, the other stories started to make more sense to me. And this is a great example of that. Like, to be clear, I didn't even, as a kid, realize that the man who's getting killed, um, so not getting killed, why did I say that? The, um, the guy who ends up in the insane asylum at the end, I didn't put it together that that was the same person who was the cop at the beginning when I was a kid. Because I was too busy just being scared and I didn't yeah. associate the characters and I didn't understand the storyline. But as an adult, I'm like, damn, like this is a really tight story because this guy represents a real person, you know, and a lot of the other characters it, it, later in the film are very similar to this. They all represent different dynamics. And I think that's what's really cool about films like this that show different types of black people where mm-hmm. it's not just like a token or one kind of person. It it does a great job of showing like a variety of you know people yeah and i was i was thinking about that watching this because like typically I mean, from my perspective as as a queer man when there's always usually just typically one in a movie mm-hmm. and they always play one specific part and so you see that and you only see that kind of character represented throughout the history of movies and so like i can i can I, it's it's interesting that you say that about like how there's different um representations of, of black men, black women throughout this entire anthology. And so it's not just, like you said, tokenism. I, I like, I like that. That's, that's interesting. You know, this also has like my favorite, uh, I mean, I favorite loose, but like a perfect piece of filmmaking is the use of strange fruit by Billy holiday. There's that, that whole sequence. Like it's, it's this moment where like, it's like, this is doing something more than just being like a little, a horror movie. There's, there's some really good filmmaking going on in, in that in this segment. I think watching it last night, where it's like I, I I don't know why I didn't realize this when I when I saw this the first time, but the way that it plays out, where uh, Clarence poor Clarence ends up in an asylum, um, and the orderlies are all of a sudden just assuming he's a cop killer because the ghost is gone, the zombie is gone, and so the way that it's sort of like kind of continues that cycle of people just like blaming it all on the poor black man is like it's a it's such a smart way to end this episode that i i completely didn't even realize until i was watching it last night as i'm like taking you know copious notes and trying to like get all my thoughts together it's like wow that is it's such a tight tight little story to start this all off on i agree it is it's it's scary and it 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 gets the obvious one I think out the way so that we can get into mm-hmm. other dynamics you know in the other stories which I think is brilliant. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, they got the very like very pointed, very I mean like they're all very pointed and all like very taking a very like staunch political stance. But this one, like you said, is a little bit more obvious in terms of like grabbing your attention, but also being like, okay, cool. So now that the one that you probably thought was going to happen has happened, let's give you 
more stories because this isn't the only experience, like the only black experience and the only way that we can write horror for black characters and for like a black cast of characters, mm-hmm. which great. But also thinking about this, um, cause this was 1995. I wonder, and I'm, I haven't done a lot of research into this, but like reception from like predominantly white audiences, I feel like was probably not great because <laughs> we don't, we're, People get mad about political, like, political slash, like, black horror movies now. Like, I can only imagine in 1995 with Tales from the Hood that is so, like, not aggressively, so, like, unabashedly itself in terms of what it's about and being like, hello, this is a black horror movie about black situations and black problems in America and we're going to make you watch it. And people are probably like, oh, I don't want to deal with that today. (laughs) Like... Which, unfortunately, I feel like might have, like, could have been the case. I, just knowing kind of, like, audience, horror audiences in, in the 1995 and just thinking about how that, unfortunately, probably had a lot to do with the reception and how, like, it was very much not trying to mask anything with with what it was, what it was doing. Well, it also only came out, like, a few years after the Rodney King beating. Like, mm-hmm. that's... Oh, like, yeah. you know, that's, that, that's where, that's the kind of climate that this is being birthed in and... <sighs> yeah. But well now we're covering it. No, everyone has to watch it. Um but <laughs> but so then the next story is um Boys the Do boys, Get boys, Bruised. Boys Do Get Bruised. Um which Another heartbreaking say? one. Totally forgot. Another heartbreaking one about a young boy who was covered in bruises and they're like he said it's a monster and his teacher is like Hmm, something is wrong at home and finds out that there is in fact something wrong at home. So this does a lot with like domestic abuse of young children and a teacher being a good teacher slash putting their fucking life on the line for their kids. Like almost like all teachers do all the fucking time. Played by the director. You know what? I used to say he was a good teacher too, but on this recent rewatch, he, his uh, his card got revoked. And I'll explain to you why. Because... Okay. I was with him to a point. Everything was fine. Going to the house to address the issue. Okay, you know, good. Even later, after the part I'm about to complain about, him coming back to try to, like, defend them. Okay. But that that piece where he's interacting with the monster and he is not putting it together that this has, based on process of elimination, there can only be one motherfucker in here who is... is the monster and he's just sitting at the table just walter's been no you know like he's saying there's a no he there's there's a monster oh really it's like buddy if they would have panned the camera out you would have seen me in the corner like courage the cowardly dog <laughs> like, like literally pointing because like, it's like it's this the writing is on the wall like this is the monster and that's and i'm like you know what you lose your card you should have been like okay well cell phones weren't around so i was about to say you well they were but i don't know if he was likely to have one Probably i don't not. know the thing is this he needed to alert the authorities at that point yeah, I why I I completely actually agree with that because when I was watching it la- the first time I was wa- I watched it I definitely had that same feeling and when I was watching it last night I was like okay you got to know that that is the monster you also got to know that that the woman is looking at him with fear the kid is looking at him with fear and you are just going to 
exercise yourself from the situation after you have just basically said, yeah, your kid is drawing pictures of you is basically what he's saying. And, and, then, he, and then follows it up with time to hit the old dusty trail oh, like sir. Oh, no. <laughs> Great night, everybody. I just dropped this bomb in your house. I'm going to leave now and you guys can deal with the consequences. Bye. It's like, you know what? Like rewatching it this second time, the second time, sorry. Rewatching it this time. Um, it made me realize like there's two levels of horror here. Cause like the obvious one is like the horrors of racism, mm. but the other one is the horrors of the male ego. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm just dissect saying, that. Dissect that, please. I'm just saying, and this is a great example of it. So I don't know. He needed to know. He he needed to be a little bit stronger in his um whatever he was doing and put his ego aside. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's true because all, all of these are about all of these stories are about black male characters. Like there are some black women, but it's a lot of black. Oh, I didn't even think about that with like male ego and how that factors in. Oh yeah. Like there's a lot of ego, even with like Duke Metger or whatever. Like if you think about it, right. He actually starts seeing something supernatural happening inside the house. And I know we're not that story yet, but just like, just to give like a taste mm-hmm. of what I'm nope. talking about. And he feels so, he has such an ego, he's not leaving the house. He's beating these dolls with the flag. He's shooting them. He's, I'm like, leave. You can live. You can live. You went, he ran the footage back. Well, goddamn, that's a doll tripping up, Rody. And he stayed. Like, well, would you look at that? Now, would you look at the goodness gracious, great. And I'm like, okay, sir, like, you wanna die. Because you can't, how are you going to kill, they said it in the movie, how can you kill what's already dead? These dolls is dead as fuck, and you about to join them, you about to be up in the painting, playing around. <laughs> I, uh, the male ego is something wicked, man. It is something really, really mm-hmm. wicked. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but but this okay but this this one this scene oh my god my mind i'm still stuck on this man <laughs> and the flag i i have so many thoughts about that <laughs> oh I just, yeah I just, but okay the way that this this segment ends with uh the kid twisting the monster thing it's it's uh, really kind of a coolest fun... fucking death i've seen yes. like what an incredible death and like Sorry, Terry. I just was so no, excited I, about that. Death. Please go on because that—that's—that's that, that's what I wanted to talk about. It's such a great visual motif, and it's such a well done arm breaking, leg breaking, body twisting. Like it's just—it's a great moment of body horror that I just. Mm. Well, and I I love this. It's like it's very it's very much hitting those 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 horror movie beats of the kid says something and no one believes him because it's, it's kind of warps out a little bit. Like they do believe him sort of that something is wrong, but it's not a monster. And he's like, no, if I draw it and I can kill it, they're like, that's not how you deal with monsters. And he's like, actually, yeah, it fucking is because none of you are going to do anything about it. So I'm gonna take my drawing and break his arm and crumple him up and step on him. And guess what? I did it. And it's very much like that kind of kids horror movie thing. And I love that. And that it kind of plays with those expectations and tropes of like the monster in the closet. No one believes the kid and the kid gets his revenge because he knows the truth and he knows the the secret to hurting the monster. And it plays with that in a really interesting way. I think like playing with the reality of like kids, 
using horror and fantasy to kind of cover up atrocities going on in their lives and trauma, but then also having that magic being the way that he can, the kid can ultimately defeat the bad guy. Because that's, I love that you said that. It like, because like, especially as like a lot of horror fans, like, like we were growing up, a lot of us also were creatives. So we think mm-hmm. about how like we're in situations where because imagination is like the the foundation of creativity, that's your ticket out of this, like your imagination, your creativity. And I feel like it's important for young black boys to see that, especially like watching it, because like, you know, and I'm pretty sure other groups as well, but I am not a white person. So I don't, you know, I don't know. But, but you know, I'm just saying like, um, that your imagination's okay. It doesn't make, it doesn't mean that there's yeah. something wrong with you because you're not trying to be stoic or you're not trying to be like emotionless because that was, that's what society expects you to be. You can be colorful and paint and stuff and it's your ticket out of that. And I thought that was really dope. And, um, there was something else I wanted to say about that scene. It was something else. It was really good too. It, it'll come back if it, if it's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say the saddest shit in that section is when it's the close up on the little boy's face with the tears running down his face as the monster's hand comes around the door oh, and you're yeah. like Won't someone uh, help this poor kid? Just it's so sad. Want to hug you. Cuz like ugh, because I feel like what this movie does so well is take those again, those tropes but make them even more horrifying. Like, you know, again, we've seen this before with the kids seeing the scary thing under the bed or in the closet or like something calling their name and they hide under the bed and it's scary but here they really linger on his face and the tears Mm -hmm. and the actual like recurring fear from this kid like this isn't just a ghosty this is something really like really bad hurting him and you get this implication that like one is happening all the time and there's a sexual violence aspect to it because the door is locked and he's Mm -hmm. trying to get through the door and the kid is terrified Mm -hmm. and it's just like plays into that in a way that is so heartbreaking and it it's just impressive. Again, I keep saying impressive, but just how they're melding all of these genre things together to create these stories that are both expected and not mm-hmm. is just like, and again, lending it to talking about like creativity and young boys and in young black boys. Like, hey, guess what? Your creativity actually can help you and is a good thing. Like, don't let that be squashed ever. So, yeah. Yeah, it's intrinsically connected to your childhood. And I know y'all mm-hmm. heard the saying, like, childhood is the kingdom where nobody ever dies. You know, it's it's important. Yeah. Like, And I remember what I was going to say. Another reason he lost his damn card. Because <laughs> he was acting like he didn't believe him a little bit. And mm-hmm. I definitely would have been like, if I was that little boy, like, okay, well, something is beating my ass. So are we just going to act like we don't see what is happening? Like... And that's the problem. A lot of adults, like, that are in power positions, they act like that. Like, they invalidate youth, and they don't believe them. That's why it is powerful for him him to say, like, he said that no one would believe me. That's, that's a, that rings true to victims of abuse. And it's just, it was just, for that story to be so short, it just pulled that thing together. It was very tight, and it was very true to what people deal with, essentially, even though they turned it into a, a horror imagining yeah, yeah. And that's this whole fucking movie is like really tight stories that get to the core of so many like emotional things so quickly. And like, 
obviously and that is intrinsic to the anthology oh, movie yeah. but like this one in particular i feel like packs so much in each of its sections in such a way that is so impressive how quickly they're able to write all of these characters and emotional beats into something and get you really invested in everything that's going on on screen too like that is not an easy feat with shorts oh yeah and it's just like consistently with all four of the of all four of these shorts are just like holy shit like you the writing is just incredible that you're able to do that. I also just want to give a quick <sighs> shout out to David Allen Greer in his performance, his very restrained and terrifying performance. Because at the time, he I, he was known mostly for comedy stuff, like mm-hmm. in Living Color and mm-hmm. Blank Man and a bunch of like that kind of more silly type things. And his performance in here is the opposite of that. I mean, he does get a, a little campy once he's being torn apart and twisted like the some of his lines what is does def- he say on the floor like this is an over motherfucker or something like that over yet bitch yeah <laughs> yeah bitch <laughs> i'm like, I was like it, it is it, 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 it sure is buddy it sure you, is. you are tied like you are a tied into a knot on the floor i think it's over <laughs> right this man was a whole ass pretzel still talking shit <laughs> the male ego the male ego hell. talking shit even when you are literally twisted into a human pretzel well i'm the best so they introduce each of these stories with them opening a coffin and and like the guy the the three the three drug dealers looking into coffins and mr sims is like oh let me explain it to you they open this one and you don't see it like what in the fuck happened to this guy and then you get to the end and you're like ooh, yeah burn body okay that is exactly what was inside of that coffin Ooh. Yeah. I would have run out after that point. If someone yeah. showed opened a coffin and showed that to me, be like, you know what? You can have the shit. I'm out. Like, goodbye. I don't know what weird things you're dealing in, but I don't want to be a part of this. That's a thing, like but like people like I don't know what it was, but people just opening up coffins and showing me bodies, just generally speaking, <laughs> is not cocktail hour etiquette. <laughs> Let me tell you some stories about the dead bodies I have and just cocktail open them up. Like, I, I'm like, sir, where are my drugs? <laughs> buddy. Where's my shit? That's, I'm getting married. Shit? Oh, wait, I'm getting married this year, so I'm going to have at the cocktail hour just have coffins and open things up and just have coffins opening up with like food or maybe actual dead bodies to really keep everyone they, on yeah, Keep them on their toes. <laughs> I'm letting you know right now. First of all, everything and congratulations. Oh, thank you. But also, I would not be eating out no damn coffins. (laughs) Me neither. Oh, no. Absolutely not. I'd have my own stash, like, hidden back somewhere, so I wouldn't have to eat anything out of the coffin. That would scare the hell out of me. And the funny thing is, since it's like, I would be... Like looking like I'm eating, like oh girl, yes, because I don't want it's your you know your big day. Oh yes, you know, and then like when you walk away, just like (laughs) I would tell you later because you know when it's funny, it's not gonna be funny on the day of. You don't cuss me out, and we we have to have a magical eat. Oh my god, it's beautiful! Everyone's like, why are there coffins? What's wrong with her? Oh, like, oh no, they can't talk shit about you though. Like, if you're my friend, I'll talk to you about it, but I'm not going to be in the kiki corner talking about your event. Like, that's trash. Because if they try it, even if I agree, I'm like, what y'all won't do is talk about my girl, okay? Because what y'all wouldn't look like? Where'd y'all get married at? That's a friend. With her, with, with her weird coffin serving bladders. Um... And then later anyway. be like, girl, we got to talk about these coughs. <laughs> okay, hey, are you okay? Like, what is happening here? Why'd you do that? You're weird, but that was too weird. That was weird for you. 
Oh, jeez. Oh, anyway. Wow. Um, that was a journey. But then, that was a journey. But then, so the third story is the KK comeuppance, which is the doll story that we have talked about at the beginning, um, which is this, the one that terrified you as a child. And it's scary. And it's really fucking scary. Yes. Oh, sorry. I, I was tearing up a little bit remembering the pain. <laughs> Pain. yeah um i feel like the title kind of just like tells you that all you need to know uh <laughs> kk comeuppance um this guy uh i just lost the Duke entire Metger. synopsis Duke Metger. Duke, the most southern white man name i've ever heard in my life duke metker well it's actually a combination of two notorious real white white supremacist mm-hmm. uh david duke and then the aryan resistance founder tom metzger is like where they put those two together and so yes it is the most <laughs> white supremacist sounding name ever so the thing that was stuck in my head and was like causing me is the is the fact that we have a, this very potent image of this man using the american flag to a beat away these dolls hit the black woman mural and also at the very end to try to hide himself behind it while the 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 dolls are coming to kill him and it's such a potent image mm-hmm. and i i'm ashamed to admit um that as much as i've seen this movie i didn't put together the flag thing until this recent rewatch because Emilio was watching it with me and when he's actually like beating the dolls with the flag he was like wow that is a really like powerful message like and i was like wow i didn't even put it together because like as terrible as this man is he's one of the examples of someone that i just laugh at like he's just Mm. he's so awful he's such a piece of shit and it's like knowing that he's going to get that come up and watching this each time i'm laughing at how awful this dude is and then seeing him get it it's like oh it's such a payoff it's just and then i can't stand the dude playing um roadie like his uh his black counterpart because he's literally along with it making fun of his own people and shit and i'm just like i the shucking and jiving and all the foolishness, it's just everyone got their comeuppance. And the dolls are still frightening, but mm. I like them a little more than the actual humans in this one. Yeah. Even with them, like, eating him at the end. <laughs> Gnarly. That moment, even <laughs> even still, like, when I was watching, it's like, wow, this is really going for it. This is oh, really yeah. some gnarly. This is, like, the the set piece for this this movie. And it, it well-earned. But it, it still Eat made me, like, going. supremacist. <laughs> there you, you can go. do it all the time. It's real. Eat them. Oh, my God. That's my that's my phone background. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I made it on Canva. Eat, <laughs> Mm. I made it on Canva. <laughs> I'm just saying, look, free stuff. But no, you're right, though. Like, I mean, it is like, I, I feel like when people talk about, or think about the first Tales from the Hood, this is the the quintessential one. Like, this mm-hmm. is the story. I mean, this and boys uh, do get bruised. I feel like those are the two popular ones. Not just in terms of images, though, because I feel like people do show images of, like, all of the stories and stuff like you were talking about early like with um i can't think his name martin uh morehouse like as the zombie like he shows up on our timeline quite a bit too because of just how awesome that looked yeah this is the one them damn scary ass dolls they're so good it's such a so well puppeted and so well animated and just 
so good. I also just, I also love a good, like, flashing to a painting on the wall and it's empty, the shape is mm-hmm. empty, and there's, that means something is out of, like, something has popped out of the wall and it keeps flashing back and then it's all just, like, empty little slots where the, like, the, where the dolls have come out and it's like, yes, yes, they're here. But also him throwing, shooting at putting the doll on dartboard and just yelling at just a slew of horrendous <sighs> racial remarks and shooting it with a gun. It's just like, yeah, I fucking guess, dude. Like, was that was that when he's yelling no reparations at one point? He's like yes. yelling this at the dolls. Yeah. And it's just like, buddy. But again, like, kudos to the writers of just being like, no, we're going to really, like, put, like, really show you how bad he is. Like, this isn't going to be some, like, oh, we're just going to... Like thinly veil it, like oh no, he's just going to be yelling the worst things you could possibly imagine at a fucking doll. At, at a doll, yeah, that tripped oh. up your homeboy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when he, zoom, when he zooms in on like on the TV, he's like, wait, the doll was there. I love that. He's like, oh, it's always the doll. I feel like that was the point of my childhood life where I first said nope. I feel like that was that was the, when when he ran the footage back. And that doll was down there with his foot. I was, nope, I'm okay with this movie. Let me just go ahead and watch Caillou or some shit. I don't. Was Caillou even on back then? <laughs> Maybe Arthur. That's it. That feels more appropriate. I, mean, I, was say, I don't know if Caillou. Definitely Arthur. <laughs> Caillou. I, oh you said God. earlier when you were talking, you're remembering this as as a kid and the the violin cue. Okay, I, we have to give a shout out to Christopher Young, the composer for this. He mm-hmm. turned out like the moment the 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 theme kind of starts. And it's that that kind of violin sound that is repeated throughout. Such a fantastic sound. And Christopher Young is a fantastic composer that is has a long lineage in horror history. He did Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, Freddy's Revenge, oh. which... Yeah, I'm about to say, okay. At, I mean, even Atlas lesser. Shrugged. Even Atlas Shrugged. Uh, a, lesser, <laughs> a lesser one, maybe. But um, he also did the music for Hellraiser. Okay. Well, okay, I'm liking oh. them a little more. He did uh, music for, uh, gosh, in the 2000s so much. Um, the Gift, Bless the Child, Wonder Boys. Um, he did Runaway Jury, did The Exorcism of Heavenly Rose. He did The Grudge, The Grudge 2, uh, Spider-Man 3. Uh, he did what? The Uninvited, Drag Me to Hell, um, Sinister. Like... Wow. Serving out the horror scores. <laughs> he got money. Let me stop now. But uh, <laughs> let me tell you something. That is an impressive resume. And some of those sound scores I actually remember. So mm-hmm. he's the man. Wow. And he turns out a great score in this. I love that that theme. I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge music nerd. And that the moment it just sets you right in that mood, the opening to this movie. And then to hear that refrain come up in this in this episode in particular, it's just like I was I was so glad that you mentioned that that was like the that that use a memory you remember from being a kid because it's it's such an effective moment. It it actually used to strike me like right at my heart, like the the violin, like that that sharp, mm-hmm. like it it's instantly memorable. It was frightening, and it heralds the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I could be anywhere if I hear that, I'm automatically transported to Tales from the Hood, like 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 that. And then the last segment. Weird one. <laughs> Weird one. Hardcore convert, which someone described as like clockwork orangey, mm-hmm. oh, which yeah. is pretty accurate because it's a man who is shot in a gang related gang related incident and he survives. They put him in jail forever without parole and he is used to be an experiment um, on like rehabilitating criminals. 
in just a very fascinating way. That he gets transferred to basically the house on the hill. Like it is totally years before the house on the hill would like have that giant, you know, yeah. asylum up on the hill with women in dominatrix leather. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah! When he walks in and they're just walk by in the black leather, and it looks like it looks like a fucking Hellraiser hostel situation, like bright red walls. I'm like, where are we? I love it. Me too. <laughs> and then he's in bikini briefs and nothing else for the rest of the the short. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And they very obviously show them like screwing down his body of right oh. on top of his penis. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Right, like, oh. the sexual imagery <laughs> yeah. in this one. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be like, um, I'm trying to keep it together, but um, the, it's hot. No, but like, he's it's very, se- he's very sexualized in alone. this, though. He is. But like, he is. I was like, this is very interesting. Of like the like basically naked black male body laid out like mm-hmm. a Frankenstein's monster on the slab, very like medical, like medicalized, and there's all these women around him in like these flowing outfits or dominatrix outfits, and it's very. Striking. They put a ball and gag it, in his mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. they sure do, and they just pump it with liquid. It's like my fan stopped working. It's getting kind of <laughs> something. Sweating. Some, something is going on. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm not alone. I was watching this last night. And I, I was like, oh. bad thing. This guy's hot because like, this is not like an attractive moment, but there's something weirdly kinky. Like, is like a kinky vibe to this whole thing. I don't feel bad for it. Like, they literally laid this man. <laughs> down and like in those damn bikini briefs and strapped him down on a bouncing table and like he's just soaked drenched mm. and i'm just like i, I can't wet. take this this is too much like this, this is way too much <laughs> did we i'm not scared did we switch I'm to a porno like what is going on here i'm like am i supposed to right am i supposed to be frightened is this horror yeah. like what, what's that who let Clive Barker in on this? Because this is a hot ass scene. Like he did this okay. scene. Very Clive Barker. And like I want more about the doctor, the woman doctor, who's like Lady Frankenstein flipping the switches and like screwing him down and putting the ball gag in his mouth. I'm like, you're cool. I want to know more about your story and you becoming a scientist and trying to make these experimenting on people. It's fascinating. But about that whole moment. My um, my partner had a theory about her that I never wondered. He was like, um, that I never thought of. Rather, he was like, "What if she's God? Like, what if she's supposed mm. to be God? And like, this is like oh. God trying to intervene and stop something from happening." And I was like, "I'll say that you said that, but you're lucky I like you because I would steal that." I'd be like, "You know what? You I should have stolen that. That's good." <laughs> but no, I, that's really good. I yeah, it, it is. I was like, I I could see that. Like, it feels like it's like his last opportunity. And I mean, blew it. Male ego. I mean, what can I say? I'm obsessed with the thinking about God as a black woman with like a kink den. <laughs> like that's my. I never thought I needed it, but I think that's like how I'm gonna think about God now. If I ever think about God, is a black woman in a kink den. This is the best yeah, day of my right. life. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Like, you don't understand. Like, that just gave me way too much life because same. Like, if I can see God, can it just be this? This If that's that's heaven, cool. Like, fuck yeah. If that's Yeah, if God's gonna be like, hey, you fucked up, he'd be like, you know what? You're right. Tie me down and show me the light, man. Like, do it for me. 
and for you but i don't i'm not enjoying it don't worry about it oh yeah no it's definitely not for your enjoyment it's for as much of the enjoyment as she wants to allow you to have you know <laughs> that only makes it hotter right <laughs> yes. um but sans that incredible moment that i want more of now i want it to be its own movie then he goes into the second phase where it's just like strobe lights and the people well no sorry i skipped ahead he is faced with a lot of very awful images of real life violence yeah. and against black black people and gang violence and it's just like very much like the barrage of disturbing images to show you the error of your ways mm-hmm. of committing acts of violence against other black people and then he goes into uh, somewhere where there's flashing lights and all of the people he's killed start appearing and talking to him. And that's a fucking nightmare. Mm. And the, the strobe light really didn't help either. I was mm. like, oh, God, this is hell. Like, this is terrible. The first time I watched Tales from the Hood, I actually didn't see this scene because I, I had stopped watching at the, right. at the oh, Dawson because yeah. it scared me too much. So it took me a while to see this one. And when I finally oh. did see it, um, I was still a kid, but I, I, it was probably, a, if I remember correctly, I've watched this movie so many times that, like, after that first time, I can't really remember, you know, exactly yeah. time. But this is a really powerful scene for me for one reason specifically. Like, growing up, my mom okay. used to always tell me, right, if you kill someone, you'll see them again. Mm. Like, she would always tell me this. Uh... Like, she believed that, like, um... And she still believes this, but um, it doesn't come up in natural conversation because it's not exactly like cocktail hour etiquette. But um, she she definitely... <laughs> Every time she sees, it just reminds you, Ryan, you kill someone, you'll see them again. You're like, thanks? What? Why? I'm like, I didn't kill anyone? I told you something. Like, what? Stop talking to Emilio. He's pranking you. <laughs> I'm just imagine you're leaving voice messages on your phone, just reminding you about that. Oh my god! <laughs> when she listens to this, she's pro- my mom's a prankster. She she would do oh, that. I love that she pranks me, and it's very cruel, but <laughs> amazing. <laughs> but um, she would always say that, like you know, you don't get away with like killing people, like even if like you're found <clears throat> innocent by like a court of law, and even before you die and you have to face judgment, she would say you're going to see them. They come and visit you, and they haunt you, and they don't leave you alone. Like they're always with you, and so. That scene to me was always frightening because I I didn't think anything supernatural was happening per se. I thought this is what happens if you kill someone. And I didn't know. I didn't have any bodies at the time. And so I had no reference point. At the time. <laughs> at the time. Oh, the tomb is filled with bodies, honey. No, no, no. <laughs> no but <laughs> the thing. Oh, you know what? I'm <laughs> with you. <laughs> I forgot what the hell I was about to say. Oh, okay, Sorry. no ghosts. Right. Yeah, ghosts bad. <laughs> Male ego worse. <laughs> That's where we were. I think that pretty pretty much sums up the movie, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. I think that's the logline. Ghost bad, male ego worse. And, you know, th- that's the spirit of it, man. It is the spirit. Wow. No, there, wow. The, back to this this interview with uh, with Rusty. There there was one moment where he was talking about how um, one of the things that happened with the first with this movie because he's talking about the sequels, which I want to briefly ask if you had seen but before we get to that Oof. he says that uh the happened with the first one is that i've had people who were once gang members come up to me and say they stopped being gang members because of tales from the hood which oh, is an awesome that. thing to have happened the crazy K segment uh... made them rethink what they were doing i love that and i think that that is 
it's it's such a interesting the choices that are made to where where this where this movie starts with the police brutality and then ends on this note is such a I, I it's it feels so purposeful but like oh yeah I I loved reading that that in that interview it's like art can do things you know what and when you think about like the first opening scene like the credit scene it's literally a memento mori like decked in thug attire so it's mm, definitely mm-hmm. like a you two will die moment to people who are living in the like the lane for the people who are meant to get this message mm-hmm. and like growing up um a lot of my cousins and my older brother they were caught up in the gang life like you know on the streets and you know my brother was a crip and like we had spent many mm. years um dealing with a lot of stuff with that um i don't want to go too deep into it but it, it's, right. it's 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 very um holy shit though it's That's very real scary. you know and he's been yeah. shot multiple times like um he's currently paralyzed because the last shooting actually um destroyed his spine like basically so he, he can't walk but he was living in the lane that this movie was trying to get people out of and <clears throat> he just never got the message and i i think like sometimes people are just too far gone but i'm happy to know that like a film like this could make that type of impact because it was very purposeful in the way that it was trying to get to people because there are moments that are brilliant that you don't see anywhere else in media like where crazy k is in the the cell next to the white supremacist and he realizes oh we have a lot in common you we all right you know and that's literally something that I think people don't think about, like who are in that situation sometimes that like what you're doing is actually what the enemy is doing, you know, right. like the people who are yeah. trying to hurt us. So why stay on that lane? You know, that made that made my day. I didn't know he said that. I mean, I'm not surprised, though, because I feel like good art definitely that's what it's for, because like there are moments of this where honestly, I have a lot of fun watching this film. But there's also that piece of it that's so impactful and it made this change. Like, that's indicative of great art for me. Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. It can be you love watching it and also it can bring about some kind of change. Even if it's just for one person, there's a change that is being made. And that's that's incredible. Because they don't like with this segment, especially like they do not shy away from violent images. Like there are <laughs> real historical images in this that are just like the and they and with the white supremacists too. Like that was also fucking intense. Like showing his horrible tattoos and the way he's speaking. Like they really go in on that message. Oh yeah, like very very heavily. But wow. but at least wow. we got to see Crazy K in some bondage gear. You know that was the we did. You know. Exactly. You get these really, really intense moments, and then you see him in bondage gear, and then you go back to it. It's paced well. It's totally great. It gets it gets something for the whole family. I'm sorry. Oh. That's not <laughs> It feels like they probably said that in the original commercial. How much you want to bet? Because <laughs> they were pitching it as a comedy, so like, they, they probably threw that in there, too. I, I can see it. Yeah, it's from the hood. Something for the whole family. Um Oh my god! I'm just, wow. Um, have you anyway. seen the sequels? I have. Are they good? I have no. not watched them. Um, okay. The <laughs> the second one is not. Um, the third one's marginally better, but <clears throat> I just kind of feel like it's it's that that curse of making something so damn good that mm-hmm. you know even if the other two were actually decent. I wouldn't probably be able to tell because that first right. one burned so bright 
But from my perspective, they they were not they were not that good. Um, I hope they still keep going though, because I feel like there's a chance for them to get better. It's just you have to keep doing it. Like there's a lot that um, our community is dealing with right now that can be spoken to, but mm. you have to kind of like get in there. And then it also doesn't help that like a lot of the themes that were talked about in the first one are still relevant today. So it's like how yeah. many other ways can we come at it from different angles is like another perspective but even looking at some of it i was about to go on a tangent but no yes i I don't think they were that good (laughs) okay yeah i I was afraid of that i didn't realize they're from 2018 and 2020 like they really just all of a sudden in 2018 were like oh yeah okay cool we'll make a sequel to tales from the hood and then make another one interesting with keith david yeah he's playing um the new Sims. Yeah, Sims. I don't yeah. know if it's supposed Sims. to be the same Sims because I couldn't pick up that. I feel like they addressed it, but I can't remember. Like if it's supposed to be the same Mr. Sims or like his brother or something. Okay. The reveal that Sims is the devil. I do love when he like turns the lights on with his fingers, the light bulbs. That was an incredible moment where he's like walking around and turning on the light bulbs and then reveals like you are in hell. And then the, <laughs> the snake tongue comes from between his teeth, which is... <laughs> Which was clearly made. They, they inserted that with Canva. Um, clearly. Uh, with Can- Canva. Clip art. So, oh, yeah. Clip art. Because, okay, so a lot of... Like, this is in 1995. Mm. But some of the, the effects are great. Like the, like, the doll effects are great. The zombie effects are great. But then all of a sudden, we go to hell, and it looks like a clip art, like paint Microsoft paint situation, which makes me so sad, because it's like the last shot, and it's not... It's not very good, and it kind of makes me sad. I was like, oh, no, that's the note you're going to end on? <laughs> oh, And then no. the boys are Harlem shaking in hell flame. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not very good. Oh, I mean, the sound. Hair, like, <laughs> on fire. Oh, it's just, I know, I'm like, oh. This does not match anything that I just, the previous 90 oh. minutes, this is nothing like what I just I feel like if it were made like last year, the sound like the sound score at the end would be, um, you know, this girl is on fire, because like yeah. it literally is like they're dancing. It looks like I mean a function I wouldn't mind yeah. going to because they weren't burning up. The flames were no. just there. They were like just pa- hanging out. Yeah, yeah. They were not. They were not. They were on fire, but weren't on fire. You <laughs> they, know what I mean? They were on fire, but they weren't smoking. Like it was. <laughs> it was a problem. It was an issue, and I need them to to redo that scene, remaster mm. it for me, real quick. Mm-hmm. I know. I was. I was. I was. That was a bummer because it's like, oh, you are in hell. You were dead the whole time because he shows them their coffins and like opens again with the coffin, the fucking coffins, and it's like, look, you are actually dead. And they're like, what? And his eyes turn red. Welcome I'm to hell, motherfucker. To hell, motherfucker. <laughs> Which is an incredible line, though. I I do love that line, but the whole the image you're going on at the end, it was like, oh no, we we use all of our budget. Fuck, what do we do? The funny thing is the twist is like there. Like I love the twist. Mm, I feel like mm-hmm. it's bomb. Yes. But, it's a bomb. It's so good. But that like you said, those those effects. And like you said, it was ninety five and like they probably didn't get they did probably didn't open up their purse strings all the way for this feature already. So that was probably a piece. And a lot of the money probably went into the zombie for sure and like the dolls. So they were like, Okay, we're yeah. gonna go ahead and just Microsoft paint, like you said. I'll forgive it because the rest of the movie is amazing and the effects are great, but it was just such a funny, weird note to end on. Like, wait, this isn't... Okay, well, all right, that's fine. Whatever. But 
like you said, Harlem shaking with the, the flames, like stock screaming. Not actually, because you hear like the stock screeching in the background, the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, ah! Yeah, it was it, so, yeah. a lot happening. A lot. It's <laughs> a lot happening. Um, uh, okay, do we want to wrap this up and give us our rating out of five? Sounds good. We've made it through. All right. Terry, um, how many Clarence Williams III's walking sticks out of five do you give Tales from the Hood? You know, when I was looking at my letterbox, I'd given it a four. But I'm telling you, after this conversation, I, I, I do think ending graphics aside, I do think this is a, a five star movie, a five Clarence, excuse me, a five Clarence William III walking sticks movie. It's I don't know. It's just there's there's so much going on. There's so much that is happening both like in the horror realm, in the effects realm, but also in the social commentary realm. And the fact that this was being done in 1995 is just, I, I think it's groundbreaking. I'm upset that I had never seen it until a few years ago. Uh, I think this is a movie that in, in that same interview with Indie Wire, he says that people seem to keep finding this movie and he's like, and that makes me really happy. And I think that, I think this is a great movie. I think I just, yeah, I'm giving it five Clarence Williams, the third walking sticks out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? Okay. I'm giving it four and a half. I'm so sorry, but the ending just, it, the ending not because out of half a star. I'm sorry. Like it just, it's okay, but that's, that's it. But again, mad that I hadn't seen it before. Glad I finally have. It's so much scarier than I could have thought. I think it's incredibly well made. I think like it, it does that incredible, well balanced thing of doing like social social issues and horror in a way that is effective and also very pointed, but not like preachy. And I think that's a balance that people are still learning how to how to how to hit nowadays, especially when like elevated horror is the thi- mm. is like always in the zeitgeist and talking about making horror political. Um, this is an example of how you do that in, in an amazing way. And I, you know, Clarence Williams III's fucking performance in this movie is iconic. Mm. And this is just another anth- an anthology movie and a horror movie in general that definitely deserves more people to talk about it and see it and just appreciate all of the things that it does um, in such a short amount of time. So it's four and a half for me. Sorry, clip art ending. Just kind of, it was a weird, sour note for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, Ryan, you have the final word. How many Clarence William III walking sticks out of five do you give Tales from the Hood? I feel like I know your answer, but I'd love to hear it. I feel you. like it is a five. Like, it's, um... Yeah. I fall in love with this film the more that I watch it. Like, it's... And that's rare um, for films that I've seen so many times like this one. Like, yeah. re-watching it um, between today and yesterday for this, I was just... I was feeling everything all over again. There were details I was catching that I didn't catch the other million times I watched it. And it does toe that perfect line. Like, I'm happy you said that between like teaching us something without being super preachy and still having moments that are just like good for horror fans. Like we get like a lot of like dark thrills and chills. Mm -hmm. And I just can't see, I can't suggest this film enough to people. I, I understand like over the course of time, how it may have accidentally got overlooked based on a lot of the stuff that we talked about during the episode, but it's never too late. Like, I feel like no. people could check it out today and really have a great time with this film. And it's only an hour it's 30, sh- right? It's only an hour mm-hmm. 30. It's on shutter. If you have shutter. So it's pretty like readily available for everyone. It's so check it out. 
if you want to watch an anthology, a good movie or an anthology film, it's on Shudder. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us to talk about Tales from the Hood. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share? So you all can find me at Brother Ghoulish on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can find my podcast, Brother Ghoulish's Tomb, wherever podcasts are played. And Brother Ghoulish's Dragula Breakdown as well, wherever podcasts are played. And that's where I talk about the Boule Brothers Dragula, because I am a huge fan. And, excuse me, you can also find me haunting an underpass near you if you want to meet me in person. And if you forget any of this, check out www.brotherghoulish.com. I I put everything on there in one centralized location because I do have a lot of projects that I've mentioned and also ones that I'm working on, like bringing out my first book, which is There's Something Wrong in Mornington County. So I'd love to talk with anyone hard. Just come find me and and, and throw uh, carcasses at me for for, to eat while we're talking. (laughs) Perfect. And then what is um, the handle for uh, Blurdy Massacre? It's at Blurdy Massacre. And we're actually working on our website now, so we should be launching that pretty soon. Cool. And then everyone, all of that is in, are in the show notes. So you will not, so you don't forget, um, everything is there for you to check out. Um, Oh yeah. So listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Tales from the Hood? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to give us a rating, a review, and make sure you are subscribed. Please. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>